One of my most vivid childhood Christmas memories was one year we drove to my grandpa's house. We didn't normally spend Christmas with him, so I think that's probably one of the reasons that it stuck out to me. So we drove that night to the very small rural community where he lived, and as we drove, it was dark everywhere. No lights, no street lights, except an occasional car passing by. So we drove through the darkness. And as we drove, I, like most kids, said to my parents, how much further are we there yet? And then finally, as we drove, as we topped a hill, you could see the street lights of this little town. In the midst of the darkness, you could finally see the destination. Down a hill into the valley, could no longer see it. Up again, again, the lights. And I remember as a kid being so excited for that because of what the lights represented. We were going to Grandpa's house, and there we are going to celebrate Christmas. I was thrilled and excited for the hope of what I thought Christmas would be. I wonder if you have a similar feeling in seeing the lights of Christmas. I think young and old, it's still captivating to us to see lights. Lights on trees, lights on homes, lights around town. Everyone loves the lights, the candles that bring light of Christmas. And whether our culture realizes it or not, whether we remember it or not, those lights are there and they're captivating for a reason. For the Christian, Christmas is rightly filled with lights. Lots of lights because the very message of Christmas is that the light has come into this world. The true light has come near to us. And that's why these lights are so valuable. That's why they echo so much to us. And this morning in our passage, we'll see this light and what it means for us today. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John, to John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. John 1, beginning in verse 6. And the Bible's near you. You can find, one, find it on page 886. Page 886. I encourage you to open up a Bible app or open up a Bible. Just so you can see the text in front of you. You can see exactly where I'm drawing these thoughts from. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. At the back of the room, there's a stack of Bibles there. You could grab one and take it with you. If you're new to reading the Bible, when you open it up, the larger numbers are the chapter numbers. This will be in chapter 1. Smaller numbers, the verse numbers, will begin in verse 6. I'll mention those verse numbers throughout our time together. So today we're in the second week of a short series in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John 1, beginning in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This morning in our passage, we see this main theme. The light has come, 
providing the most extravagant gift. So treasure this gift and share it with others. The light has come, providing the most extravagant gift. So let's treasure this gift and share it with others. In our passage, we'll see it in two parts. First, witnessing to the light. Second, responding to the light. So witnessing to the light and responding to the light. First, witnessing to the light in verses 6 through 8. We're told in verse 6 about this man who was sent from God. We're told his name was John. Now, this is the one who we typically refer to as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. He was the cousin of Jesus, and he plays this important role of being the one coming just before Jesus' earthly ministry. He was the, the forerunner, the one who was preparing the way for the Lord. And we're told in verse 6 that John was sent from God. Now that's in contrast to what we saw last week, if you were with us, in verses 1 to 5, where it spoke of the Word, which is Jesus Christ, who was God. So we just see a distinction between John, sent from God, Jesus, who is himself God, the Son. And we're told about what John's role was in verse 7. Look down at verse 7. It says, He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. So it's clear John is not the light. He's to bear witness about the light, which is Jesus Christ, God the Son. So he came to point to the light, to draw the eyes of others, not to himself, but to the light, telling what he had seen and known, what was true about Jesus. And his goal was not simply to inform, but notice it is that all might believe through him. So he wanted to witness, to point to the light with the hope that all would hear of the light and believe, place their faith in the light. So we see witnessing to the light. Second, hate the disappointment, it's longer than the first. Uh, Second, responding to the light, verses 9 through 13. We see in verse 9 that the true light, we're told, was coming into the world. That is the real, the authentic light. This light that we see across the context, which is referring to Jesus Christ, God the Son, the true light was coming near. Now, Christmas Eve, we'll, we'll think more deeply on this aspect of the coming near of Christmas. And we're told in the text that this true light gives light to everyone. By this, he's saying that by God's common grace, there is some light for all the world. But this light is limited, and it's not sufficient alone to provide salvation, but it is sufficient so that all are without excuse. It's sufficient that we would be aware of our need and know that there, we do need a Savior. And so this true light comes into the world, in fact, the very world that he made. So Christ the Son is the one who spoke it into existence, and what he created was good and beautiful, lacking in nothing. His creation marked by harmony, joy, peace, and love. But sin had come into the world, and darkness was now a part of this world. The darkness of sin, the darkness of suffering, the darkness of disease and death. And now, so often, it seems like the darkness dominates. But in the midst of that darkness, heavy darkness, we're told the true light shines in the darkness. 
We're told last week that the darkness could not overcome the light. So the light comes into the world, but how would the world respond to the coming of the light? And we see the first response to Jesus Christ in verse 10. It says, yet the world did not know him. And by world here and elsewhere in the Gospel of John, it's not referring only or primarily to the planet, but it is to all who live here. In particular, the the people of the earth. And and so the world, we're told, didn't know Jesus. The people of the world, the vast majority, ignored or refused. They rejected the true light. But not only the world, notice, look down at verse 11 says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So it's not just broadly the world, but his own people who he'd come to. Jesus of Nazareth was born in a real place, in a real time, into a Jewish family. Born into the covenant people of God, God's own people, to whom had been promised that God would send a deliverer, uh, the rescuer, the savior, the Messiah. And yet so many of God's own people, as Jesus came into the world, did not receive him. They refused him. And for so many, it's because they wanted a Savior, it's true, but they wanted a Savior that fit their own categories. A Savior that that matched their own desires. They wanted a Savior that fit their own expectations. And, And sadly, this true Savior didn't match what they were hoping for, and so they rejected him. And of course, the same is true for us today. So often... Jesus, the true Savior, isn't the Savior we thought he would be, doesn't fit our expectations, and so we, too, often refuse him. So we see the primary response of the people of the world and of God's own people was to reject the true light, to refuse Jesus, to deny him, to be unwilling to receive him. But thankfully, that was not the response of all. Not all refused him, not all received him. We see in verse 12, but to all who did receive him. So some did receive him. So we see in our text two different responses to the coming of the true light. Two different responses to the coming of Jesus Christ. One is to reject him, to refuse him, to deny him, to be unwilling to receive him. And then the other one, to receive him. We see the response, verse 12, to receive him, to believe in his name. That's the response. To receive Christ. What does it mean to receive him? He expounds upon it. It is to believe in his name. That is, we are placing our faith, our trust in the name of Jesus. And by name here, it's speaking comprehensive of this one Jesus, his life, his death, his character, all of who he is. So so to believe in his name, we're believing in all of who Christ is. And friend, if you were to continue to read the gospel account, the gospel of John, and I commend it to you, across the pages you would see Jesus claim to be this promised one, the Messiah. We see Jesus claim to be God. To be able to forgive sins, to be the one breaking in. The king has now come. See, Jesus predict his own death on a cross. We'd see him die, raised on the third day, ascend into heaven. All of this in order to provide something. To provide a gift, this gift of salvation. 
And so to receive Jesus, to believe in his name, that's what we describe as, that's how a person becomes a Christian. We see this across the pages of the New Testament. Sometimes different terms used for it, but it's understanding our need of a Savior. We understand we've gone our own way. We're unable to save ourselves. We understand Jesus is the one who has come. And so we admit our need and we place our trust, our faith in him. By that, we're receiving Christ. And friends, it's very important that we note in our text that this great salvation is all the work of God. It is not part the work of Jesus and part of our own effort. It's not some of Jesus and then we add our own activities or even our own religious devotion. No, it is all of Christ. It can only be all of Christ. We're simply to receive him by faith. And notice this is for all, it is for any who would receive him. To all who receive him, given this gift. Now when we receive him, what is it that we are receiving? We're receiving what we call the gift of salvation. Now across the New Testaments we see this more fully orbed picture of what this great salvation is. So many different aspects that are a part of this one gift. In our text today, it's not at all exhaustive. It actually just tells us one aspect. Look down at verse 12. Here's one key part of salvation. It is verse 12. He gave the right to become children of God. So when we receive Christ by faith, this supernatural action happens where we are made, uh, we are remade, we are reborn and reborn as a child of God, born into the very family of God. We are adopted into God's own family. And this comes not by human influence, not by human decision. All of this from God. Now friends, it's very important that we understand that the Bible says that we are all by nature, by the fact that we are humans, made in the image of God. Every single person is an image bearer. And because of that, Christians believe that every single person has value and dignity. That's why we do work against, speak up against injustice, because we think every person has value and dignity. So every single person is an image bearer. But with that said, the Bible does not say that every person just by nature is a child of God. So all are image bearers, but simply by our existence, we are not a child of God. We have to receive Christ in order to be made a child of God adopted by God as his own child. And this is what God does to all, to any who would receive him. And friends, think about what an amazing reality this is, to be brought into the very family of God. Now, as I said, this is not intended to be exhaustive. In this great salvation, we are also reconciled to God. We are forgiven of all our sins. We are a new creation. We are justified. We are made righteous. And we can continue to build this list of all different aspects of this great salvation. But friends, of all those wonderful aspects, nothing is greater than to become a child of God. To be brought into God's own family. To know God as father. But we might wonder, but okay, we're brought into this family, but what sort of father is this? I'm being adopted into this family. Well, who is this father and what is he like? Same writer of this gospel writes in 
1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Listen to what he says. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So friends, this God who is love gives the ultimate display of this love to the world by sending forth Jesus Christ the Son that Christ might atone for our sins. So here we see the extraordinarily generous, sacrificial love of God. And that's the Father whose family we are brought into. We are made a child of His. And this Father is one who loved us first. When there was nothing lovable in me, nothing lovable in you, that's hard for us to think about ourselves in those categories, but nothing good in us, yet the Father loved us. He loved first. Our love for Him is always simply a response to His love first for us. And He brought us in that we would know His extraordinary love. Listen to how Jesus describes this love. In in the Gospel of John later, in, in chapter 17, Jesus is praying. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 17, 26. These are the words Jesus is praying. He says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So this is Jesus praying to the Father, and he's saying, I've done this so that they would know the love you have for me. So that Christians would be brought into the same love the Father has for Jesus Christ the Son. That's the love we're brought into. Not a sort of secondary love. Not a beautiful love, but not to that extent. No, we're brought into that very love that the Father has for the Son, friend, for the Christian. We are brought into that same love. Friends, that's what this Father is like. So loving, so generous. He wants you, us, to be brought into and experience that love. And so, friends, when we receive him, when we place our faith in Christ, we come to know the God of the universe as Father. But we don't simply know him as a Father. We don't simply know him as the Father. But for every Christian, we can know him as my Father. He's not only your Father, but he is your Father. Father, so that you can pray and speak to him as my Father. That's the depth of the knowledge for the Christian. Friends, this is what it means to be a Christian. J.I. Packer has written numerous great books, and one of them is a classic book called Knowing God that I would commend to you. And in that book, there's a chapter on being made children of God. And I reread that chapter probably once or twice a year because it's just so compelling, astounding, God's love for us. And here's some of what Packer writes. What is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who knows God for his Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. He goes on, God adopts us out of free love. Not because our character and record show us worthy to bear his name, but despite the fact that they show the very opposite. 
We are not fit for a place in God's family. The idea of his loving and exalting us sinners as he loves and exalted the Lord Jesus sounds ludicrous and wild, yet that and nothing less than that is what our adoption means. That's what it means for you to be adopted as a child of God. Nothing less than brought into the very love the Father has for the Son. If you're a Christian, this is your truest identity, a child of God, access to him as your father. Author Michael Reeves has written also a very helpful book on the Trinity called Delighting in the Trinity. And he says this, When a person deliberately and confidently calls the Almighty Father, it shows they have grasped something beautiful and fundamental about who God is and to what they have been saved. And how that wins our hearts back to him. For the, fact that the God, for the fact that God the Father is happy and even delights to share his love for his Son and thus be known as our Father reveals just how unfathomably gracious and kind he is. Knowing God as our Father not only wonderfully gladdens our view of him, it gives the deepest comfort and joy. The honor of it is stupefying. To be the child of some rich king would be nice, but to be the beloved of the emperor of the universe is beyond words. This God welcomes and embraces us as his children, never to send us away. Friend, if you're a Christian, that's what God has done for you. Welcomed you and embraced you as his child, never ever to send you away. Friends, this love that God has brought you into is a never-ending, unfailing, faithful, perfect, pure love. And your Heavenly Father desires that you would rest in that love. That you would find your security in that love. As we all know, people in this world will let us down. Our own families will at times fail us. The people we love the most, sadly, will sometimes hurt us worst. But friend, your heavenly Father will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never send you away. So friend, as Christians, we want to think on this often. Meditate on this love the Father has for us. Meditate on this new identity we have in Christ. I know that many of us have complicated relationships with our earthly dads. Sometimes horrifically abusive. Sometimes truly broken relationships. Sometimes some of you have never even known an earthly dad. And so because of that, it it is understandable that the idea of being a child of God for some doesn't sound like good news. It's actually not that attractive to many because of our experience with our earthly dads. And friend, if that's your story, I'm so sorry that's been your experience. But let me ask you that if in time you might be able to consider and think about it in this way. You might be able to say that I've never known a loving earthly father on earth. I've never known a faithful dad. But, thankfully, through Christ, I've been brought in to know the one perfect Father who's ever existed. 
who will never let you down. He is as opposite as can be from what your experience has been. So is it possible in time that your negative experience of an earthly dad might actually make it possible to treasure all the more the heights of the love that God has for you as Father? And if you were blessed with a good earthly dad, there is no perfect earthly dad, but a good one, where possible, say, I'm thankful to God for the ways that my dad did this right, but even where he did it right, God is greater than that. And even a good earthly dad fails his children where he has failed you. Say, I'm thankful that my father in heaven is infinitely different than that. So no matter our story in this life, to see the goodness, the faithfulness of the one true father. And friends, this father always gladly welcomes us home. Both of our kids are grown and out of the house now and and so we're always eager for them to come and visit whenever we can sort of persuade them to come. And so they're, they're coming back to visit at Christmas. So we've been talking about it and excited for it for days. And so our son flew in on Thursday. And so Brandy and I were excited to, to go to the airport and pick him. So we talked about it all day. We got there. And so we were thrilled when he got there, even though I think he was, you know, hadn't showered. I think he had shaved for days. Like we were still glad to, to welcome him in. Thrilled to give him a hug and welcome him home. And friends, we're far from perfect parents, but we are thrilled to welcome home. Friends, understand this. The God of the universe is infinitely greater than even the, the best, whoever they are, the best earthly parents. He welcomes you home. He always welcomes you home. He will never send you away. That's the love the Father has for you because of Christ. Friend, if you're a Christian, this is your truest identity. You are a child of God. You are beloved by the Father. And this identity is based completely on what Christ has done, not what you have done. And that's good news. It's not based on what you have done or you will do. It's not based on, it cannot be lost based on what you would do or how you might fail in the future. But it's secure because it's based only on the perfect, finished work of Christ. So therefore, friend, you can rest in this identity. You can be secure in this identity because of Christ. And friends, this identity, a child of God, frees us to live well in this world. It frees us to fail in this world or to succeed. It enables us to live in obscurity or in fame. The world may say to you, you're not enough. The world may say to you, you don't have what it takes. The world may tell you all sorts of lies, but friend, your heavenly father tells a different story. He says, this is my beloved child. Loved, kept, and I will keep her, keep him to the end. And friend, if you're not a Christian, we're so glad you would join us this morning. And I wonder how you think about the story of Christmas. We would love for you to explore what the Bible says about God as Father. I hope that you see that the, the God of Christianity is no distant, unmoved being, but a gracious, loving Father who desires that all who would receive him might be brought in to know this love. 
So we'd love for you to explore this with us to the extent that you're comfortable. You can just join us on Sundays. We're glad for you to do that. If you'd like to know more, you can note that on the connection card. If you have questions later on in the service, you can just drop it in the offering basket. Or following the service, I'll be at the door. I would love to chat with you to tell you more of this unique Father. Now, some of you have been considering him for some time, perhaps for a very long time. I would just urge you to consider what holds you back from today or this week. Finally receiving Christ by faith. There'd be no better thing in my mind for you this Christmas than to receive this gift of salvation brought into the family of God. For those of us who are Christians, we've been brought into the family of God. We now join in the work of John. John was witnessing to the light, looking ahead. We now witness to the light, looking back. So we're called in the same mission that John has. We're not the light, but we seek to tell others about the light. We're simply those who, who once were far from God. We once were living in rebellion against God. And now, because of the grace of God in Christ, we have been welcomed into the family of God. And so we want to invite others in. And the astounding piece of this family is that there's always room for more in the family of God. There is no limit It's not just only a few from Cambridge or only from Boston. But no, in fact, we we invite all, any and all, we can invite in so that any, that all who would receive him, receive this free gift. So friends, you think about your own life. Who is it that God has placed in your life who needs to hear this good news of this gracious Father? We're almost to a new year. Maybe you want to think ahead to 2022 and think through Maybe two or three, four people in your life who don't know Christ, who you care about and you want them to know. You might even want to just jot their name down today that you might be able to just regularly pray for them. Pray that God would open their eyes. God would stir within them a curiosity. That God would give you opportunity. That God would give you courage to share the good news with them. Let me encourage you as we do that. It's so very tempting to give up on people in our lives. If you're like me, we have family, friends who have not been Christians for decades, have prayed for them for years, and have seen no evident progress. It's hard to keep praying. So maybe together, let's commit again. Let's pray again for those people in our lives. That God this year might work and open eyes and hearts to Christ. And perhaps even just in the next few days, you'll have an opportunity. Maybe over Christmas, you're going to spend some time either locally or elsewhere with family, or friends who are not Christians. Friends, Christmas is probably the biggest open door we have in the year. Just our culture provides that to us. So you might think about a variety of things. One, you might think about, could you invite family or friends that you'll visit to a Christmas Eve service? So if you're local, you might just say, hey, would you come with me to my church? We're having this service at 5 o'clock. It's short. We'll sing. Many people are open to that invitation. If you're going elsewhere to visit family or friends and and they don't normally attend church, I would encourage you, we'd be glad to help you, do some research. It's very possible you could find a faithful church that's having a Christmas Eve service in that community. And you could just say to them, hey, what if we tried this this year? What if we went to a Christmas Eve service together? Who knows, they might go. And even if they say no, you've already kind of surfaced the topic of Christianity. So consider, might you invite them to that, or just throughout your time with them, pray. Pray for those you'll be with, and then pray for opportunities and look for opportunities. Those opportunities might happen around the kitchen table at breakfast. It might be one-on-one in the living room. But in that, 
ask questions. Ask questions about sort of just the spiritual outlook, not in an aggressive way, but in a curious, caring way about where they are spiritually. And then if they're open to it, share what God has done in your life and share the good news of Jesus Christ. So seek to ask good questions and please listen a lot. Often as Christians, we listen little and talk a lot. So listen first so that we can best respond to what they're thinking or saying or questions they might have. You might also take this little book that we're going to have for you today on your way out. We have a gift for you we'd love for you to take. It's called, Is Christmas Unbelievable? It's really more of a booklet. So one, we'd love for you to read. I think it would just be encouraging to your own faith. It addresses four questions related to Christmas. So they're by the door. They're also in the foyer. So grab one and take it with you. So one, you might read it. But two, it might also be a gift you'd want to give to a family member or friends. You might say, hey, my church gave this to me. I'd just love to give this to you. If you have time, you might want to read it. So you could give that. If you, if you have five people you want to give them to, take five books. We'd be happy for you to take those. Or you might even do what I've done a couple of times. You might take it, and if you just don't quite have the courage to bring up the topic, you could do this. You could strategically leave the book there. So you just leave town, and you just left it there on the co- I've done this before with family in my life. I've, you know, bought a book, took it there, didn't have the courage to bring it up, but I'm just going to leave this here. Maybe God will. Who knows? So if you have to, just scatter these books all around the country as you go. A small gift that God might use. You know, I mentioned at the beginning how thrilling it was when I was driving to my grandpa's house that year. The hope, seeing the lights. But it wasn't just the beauty of the light, but that the lights represented a person. We're going to grandpa's house. But in this case, the hope was greater than the reality. For my grandpa lived alone in a big, old, drafty house. And he had a complicated life and story marked by deep addiction, much family brokenness. And though I think he loved me, I don't think I ever heard him in my life tell me that he loved me. That's why we didn't typically go there at Christmas. So I had high hopes as we drove that night of this light that represented my grandpa, my dad's dad, who tried but who often failed. And I think just didn't know how to show love. So honestly, the hope that I had for that night was never fulfilled. That's often how Christmas is in this world. Our hopes never quite measure up. The gifts you hope for, if you do get them, they're not quite what you thought. The family dinner you think will be perfection ends in an argument. Hope rarely fulfilled. But friends, the light of Christmas is so very different. Like those lights represented my grandpa, these lights also represent Christ himself, God the Son. And this light is different because of Christ's coming, because of his life, his death, his resurrection. A way has been made, a gift has been provided to all, to any who will receive it. And friends, this gift is to be welcomed into the family of God, to know God as your Father, the perfect Father, the one who loves like no other, the one who wants you to know His everlasting love. And in this case, and only in this case, the hope is great, but the reality 
far exceeds the hope. The reality of knowing God is even greater than our greatest hopes of what it would be like to know God. Because this Father, your Father, welcomes home. And this Father, your Father, will never, ever send you away. He wants you to know Him and to know more of His love for you. So friend, rest in that this Christmas season. Treasure the gift of salvation. The beauty of knowing God as Father. Today is a means of response. There are several ways to do that. One is those connection cards. We'd love to pray for you. There are ways that we could do that or maybe you have questions. Another means we're going to just bow our heads for time, just silence. In these moments, consider, have you forgotten God is your Father if you're a Christian? Forgotten the depths of his love for you. Treasure that love today. If you're not a Christian, consider Christ today. So we'll bow our heads for time of silence. Then I'll lead us in praying together. Then we'll sing as a means of response. Let's bow our heads together.